Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, this series is really easy to follow along where we're up to. You know where we're up to and you know when it's coming near the end because we're teaching line by line through the Lord's Prayer, which is why we're praying it together every week. I trust that it's been a blessing to you. And I trust that I I spoke to someone the other day that said, I found myself in in a moment where I just felt the need to pray and didn't know what to pray. So I went to the Lord's Prayer. That's one of the things that we hope we do in this series is we give you some words that you can use when there's nothing else that you know to pray. That's just a great thing. But, you know, as we've said all along, the Lord's Prayer isn't a formula. It's not something that it's Jesus teaching us how to pray. It always, it started with the disciples in Luke chapter 11 saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. And today I want to get to a really important line in the Lord's Prayer. We just prayed it together and it's this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I don't want to lift anything up with greater importance than anything else that Jesus teaches us to pray, but there's something in this line that obviously is so compelling to Jesus that in Matthew's account of this moment, he, he records that Jesus, as he finishes praying, then goes on to unpack the idea of forgiveness a little bit further. Jesus obviously wants us to get a hold of this idea of forgiveness so much that even when he prays about it and he finalizes the prayer, he then goes on to teach about this idea of forgiveness. Just after they finish praying, Jesus says this, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, now I get challenged. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, that's some really strong language right there. But Jesus wants to make it really clear that when we talk about forgiveness, when we pray for forgiveness, you cannot uncouple your call to be a forgiver with the invitation to be forgiven. Forgiving and forgiven cannot be uncoupled from each other. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, we seek God to forgive us as we too choose to forgive each other. Now the language in the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray, many of us have prayed different things. In Luke's Rendering of the Lord's Prayer, it's forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Some of us might have grown up praying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. It all comes from the original Greek word, which the best rendering of is debt and debtors. It means to owe something or to be owed. But I don't want you to think that Jesus is just talking financial here when he says, pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. See, if we think about wrongdoing, if we think about sin... Sin always costs something. There's always a price that is paid when you are wronged. I want to ask what it is that you've been robbed of lately. You see, when someone sins against you, they create a debt. They create a deficit that you have to carry. They rob you of something. Maybe they rob you of joy and happiness. Maybe they rob you of reputation. Maybe they rob you of your own sense of safety and well-being. Maybe they rob you of opportunity or friendship. Maybe they rob you of a positive sense of self-esteem. The list could go on endlessly. But when someone wrongs us, when someone sins against us, 
They take something from us. There is a cost. You think about the language we often use when we are hurt by someone. What do we say? We're going to make them pay. We're going to make them pay. In other words, when I've been hurt, when I've been wronged, when someone has sinned against me, when someone has trespassed against me, when someone has done something that has wounded me, our often reaction is to say, I'm going to make that person pay. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, we go much deeper than just any sense of economic or financial loss. And so today I want to talk about forgiveness. And I realized as I was preparing this message that I could preach a whole series on forgiveness, such as the depth of this topic, the importance to our faith, and the way that Jesus wants to use it to help us live lives that are full and are free. But I'm not going to preach a whole series. I'm going to do my best to do justice to it in about 20 minutes. So I want to ask the question, what is forgiveness? Let me give you a couple of definitions. Forgiveness is surrendering the right to get even. Before you can surrender the right to something, you've got to claim the right to get even. You know, justice demands that a wrong that is done carries a consequence. In other words, if you wrong me, if you are indebted to me, well, justice demands that you pay the price for that, that there is a consequence for your wrong action. Forgiveness surrenders your right to get even, but before we can surrender it, we've got to claim it. So forgiveness is choosing to hold back that which might be demanded by justice. And here is where we can get caught up because saying that we've forgiven someone is way harder than actually living the implication of it. I hear people say it all the time. I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. But. And what follows the but is the long litany of what that person did. You see, if you're going to surrender the right to get even, you're going to choose to not hold the past offence and carry it on into the future. Those of you here that are married might see this in your married life. You know those moments where things aren't going so well and your spouse comes and addresses something with you that is well within their right to address with you because you've actually done the wrong thing? And they want to say, I want to talk about the other day when you, and they outline your offence. And sometimes our natural reaction is to go, Yeah, but do you remember when in 1987 and we were at that church function and you did exactly the same thing? And then they're like, well, in 1991, and it's like we pull out our journals and we start journaling all the things that we've done wrong. And suddenly the offense is lost in the tit for tat of who's the worst person in the marriage to the point where everyone just goes, well, I've had enough of you and walks off. I shouldn't have thrown my Bible down there. I apologize. That was my journal there for a moment, right? I don't journal. But we get this, right? You don't have to be married to get it. You've got friends that you do that with, don't you? If something happens today and suddenly you're calling to mind everything that person has ever done to offend you, to wrong you, to reject you, to, they forgot to invite you to something, they posted something inappropriate on Facebook, remember when you didn't give me a Christmas present, I gave you a Christmas present, remember, 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 remember. Well, forgiveness is surrendering the right to get even and therefore surrendering the right to use the past as leverage for the future. Forgiveness is choosing to step into the future with someone with a clean slate from the past. So if you've chosen to forgive, whatever relationship, here's a challenge. Next time that person comes and wants to address something with you, are you going to choose to go back 
into those unforgiven hurts of the past, or are you going to choose to live the reality of forgiveness, which says, I've chosen to surrender the right that is mine to get even. So more than just surrendering the right to get even, forgiveness is also a willingness to absorb the cost. You see, if we put this in monetary terms, it's, a, it's an illustration that makes it really easy for us to understand. If Jono and I are out and you know, we're having lunch together and he goes to get his wallet and says, oh, I forgot my cash today. It's not as easy these days, is it? Because we've got cards and we've got phones that have cards on them. But could you spot me 20 bucks for lunch? Sure, Jono, here's 20 bucks, go for it. Yeah, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. Well, next Sunday comes and Jono still hasn't paid me back. But I'm very aware that I gave him 20 bucks for lunch. Next week comes, we're out for lunch again and we're lining up together and I'm thinking, here is the moment. The repayment is coming. Jono pays for his lunch and walks off and I'm left there at the counter again thinking, he's obviously forgotten that I generously paid the 20 bucks for his lunch. I mean, it's crazy because we all know that after time, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Unless you're one of my kids and you have a memory like dad, you lent a, I lent you 57 cents seven years ago. You haven't paid that back yet. So unless you're my kids, 20 bucks disappears from our memories really quickly, doesn't it? But what if, what if I lent Jono $5,000 and then all of a sudden Jono seemingly forgot the gift that I'd given him? And every time I see Jono, I'm reminded of the deficit in my bank account that's actually cost me some significant things. 20 bucks I can ride, but five grand, like... There's some holidays that I might have to downgrade. There's some, you know, some experiences that I may not choose to go on. There's choosing to go to Macca's instead of going to a restaurant that week because my bank account is now in significant deficit. But every time I see Jono, I'm reminded of the debt that he still owes me. But if every time I see him and he hasn't repaid it, something can start to grow in my heart. You see, if I choose to forgive Jono the debt, I choose to surrender the right to actually ask him to repay it. But if every time I see him, I've got to be willing to absorb the cost of what that debt looks like. So next time we're out for lunch and Jono's upgrading his value meal to like the, you know, the platinum version. And I'm thinking, man, you can't afford to do that. You, you don't have the money for that because the money that you got for that is the money that you should be paying me for what you owe me. You know, my financial example is just really a life example, isn't it? All of us have had some offence. All of us have been wronged. All of us have carried offence. And a lot of those offences are things that we find it easy to move on from really quickly because the offence is rather small. But many of us carry some wounds and some offence that are deep and significant and life-changing and life-altering. And what does forgiveness look like in that moment? How do we surrender our right to get even and make the decision that we're going to continue to absorb the cost? Don't think about a $5,000 debt now. Think about a relational debt of somebody who devastated you, walked away from a relationship with you. It might be a, a broken friendship. It might be a broken parent-child relationship. It might be a broken marriage relationship. And every time you see that person, 
the emotion of that story and the emotion of what they've done and the pain of the wound that they've inflicted becomes real all over again. And everything in you wants to use that as leverage to affect the future. And every time you see them do something that they seem happy, you want to do something that just robs them of their happiness. And every time you see them and they seem to be just getting on with life, you want to keep reminding them that you've spent months and months and months and months trying to get on with yours. And you think of words that you can speak that might just pull some joy out of it for them. You think about the passive aggressive ways you can get a reaction out of them. You think about the ways you can tell others their story so they're subject to public ridicule. You see, it's not easy to absorb the cost when we've been wronged. But forgiveness is the constant choice to surrender the right to get even and absorb the cost. See, I think we think that forgiveness is just a magical one-moment thing where we go, "Mm, yeah, you've wronged me, I forgive you. I reckon the reality is forgiveness is a forever ongoing decision to surrender the right to get even and absorb the cost. Because some of you carry wounds that are so deep that every time you go to that place, every time you see that person, every time you hear that song on the radio, or every time you visit that house, or every time you walk into that church, or every time you see something on Facebook, there's going to be something in you that just aches because of the wound that was created. And in those moments, Jesus' words to you are still the same. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Not just in word, but in our ongoing willingness to absorb the cost that they rightly should be bearing. I have time to go in this today, but I want to give a little aside. You know, we be very careful how we mix terms sometimes. You see, forgiveness and reconciliation are different things. Some of you have chosen to forgive someone that's wronged you significantly, but it's not appropriate for you to reconcile a relationship because that person's still acting inappropriately in a way that's... You see, forgiveness and reconciliation are different things. Forgiveness and and somebody's need to walk through the consequences of their actions, they can be different things. This is is actually about a hard attitude that we carry towards others, where we surrender our right to get even. And when we think about it, forgiveness is so, so hard. Forgiveness comes with such a cost. And I'm going to talk about that more in a minute, but I want to acknowledge that this is no easy topic. But before we talk about the cost and before we talk about what Jesus wants to tell us about that, I want to just make a few comments about the power and implication of forgiveness for us. Firstly, let me say this. When we choose to forgive, we recognize the humanity of the person being forgiven. You know those moments where we do something to wrong someone else and we know in our spirit that that was a bad action but we don't think of ourselves as necessarily a bad person but then someone else does something against us and we characterize them with the sin that they've done? So I'm Andrew, but you're a liar. Or I'm Andrew, or you're a... You're a gossip. You know, like sometimes we can characterize people with their sin. But in forgiveness, at times we choose to walk in someone else's shoes. I read this great article uh, on the news this week. I'm going to bring up a photo of what popped up on my phone as title of an article. Burglars beg priests for forgiveness while robbing the church. It was in the New York Post. Let me read you the story. 
a pair of remorseful robbers are said to have begged for God's forgiveness while stealing from a Nigerian church. Solomon Ukema, the St. Augustine parish priest, told local authorities that the contrite burglars had broken into the parish house, taking the church's most valuable items with them. The robbers were calm throughout the operation. They kept begging for forgiveness. They did that through the period of the robbery. I love the confidence and the calmness in them, the cleric said. One of them, for anything he picked up, would say, forgive us, Father. I mean, what a crazy story. Like, to be seeking God's forgiveness in the midst of committing the offence. But I read that and I ask the question, what leads someone to rob a church and while doing so expressing their guilt at every moment in the midst of it? And I suggest sometimes that the thing that we need to do is learn to walk in someone else's shoes. It was it desperation that led them to rob the parish house? Was it their own poverty and the needs of their family? Was it a debt that needed repayment and they had a gun to their head literally and they didn't know where else to go. You see, we don't know the story but there's something in the heart of those that are perpetrating the crime that cry out for forgiveness in the midst of even perpetrating it. You see, forgiveness chooses to see the humanity of someone, not just their sin. And it's a powerful idea because when it comes to our sin, we don't see ourselves through the lens of that transgression. More powerful than that is God doesn't ever choose to see us through the lens of our transgression, but he calls us children. He doesn't look at me and go, there's Andrew, the jealous one, or Andrew, the greedy one, or Andrew, the idolatra, or Andrew, the... He just sees me as his kid and then grieves and mourns the decisions I make that hurt him and hurt myself and hurt those around me. You see, forgiveness recognises the humanity of the person that we choose to forgive. Secondly, forgiveness makes the choice to stop the cycle of revenge. I want to write a parable called the parable of the hurting herders. The parable of the hurting herders because many of us hurt because we've been hurt. The pain we experience naturally wants to find a way to get its own back. What's the most natural reaction to someone walking up and slapping you in the face. Everything in your body. Some of you just, maybe this is just my reaction, but there'll be some people here that get it. Someone walks up and slaps me in the face. The most natural reaction in my body is to want to retaliate with the same violent action. But forgiveness is the thing that stops the cycle of revenge because in pain, we retaliate. But in retaliation, we then inflict more pain, which often can lead to another retaliation. You see... Wounding can just create a cycle of woundedness. But forgiveness is the choice to stop the cycle of revenge. The easy response is to strike back. The harder response is to absorb the injustice. And sometimes the person who's been perpetrated against or who has perpetrated against us isn't even in our lives anymore. Yet some of us carry the pain of their offence into our other relationships and our other circumstances. You know, I've sat and I've talked and I've processed with people that grieve their upbringing and the neglectful parents that they had, but then they see that they too have become one that has followed in the footsteps of those that have gone before and have become neglectful, distant parents themselves. I've spoken with people who are going through 
traumatic marriage breakdown and when you get to the root of the problem, you realise it's because one person has carried pain from a previous relationship and started to put it onto the one that they're now with. I've spoken to people in workplaces that are full of caustic, bitter behaviour and no one can work out why and when you realise that someone's carried with them an offence from their past that they now choose to outwork in a different environment. You see, when we, re- when we refuse to forgive, we often allow the seed of unforgiveness to grow inside of us and it manifests in different ways as anger or bitterness or jealousy or rage or substance abuse or something else that we go to to try and numb the pain. And sometimes the way we try and numb the pain is by getting that brief moment of joy by bringing pain to someone else. It's crazy that there's this thing in our spirit that sometimes finds the antidote for hurt to become someone that hurts. But we all do it because we just get this momentary spark of joy in our spirit. But it doesn't free us from the pain that we carry and the wound that we carry. You see, forgiveness chooses to stop the cycle of revenge, but but more than that, forgiveness leads us to freedom. Forgiveness leads us to freedom. It's a really tough message today, and some of us right now I know are carrying in us the burden and the wound of the pain that we've carried for so long. All of us, or many of us, most of us, would recognise the time in our life where we've been on the receiving end of someone else's forgiveness. You know those moments where you've done something and you know what you've done, stupid or wrong or hurtful, and the person that you've perpetrated against chooses to forgive you of it? It's that moment when you know you don't deserve grace. It's that moment when you realise the depth of pain that your words and your actions have caused and that someone else has chosen not to hold that offence against you. It's that moment when you realise that your future with that person is going to be held, not going to be held the ransom by the past actions. See, forgiveness is so freeing. But sometimes it's not as easy as that, is it? Because sometimes we're called to forgive someone who hasn't even acknowledged the hurt and the wrong that they caused. Sometimes we're called to forgive someone who's moved on and not even realised the pain that they've inflicted. There's people walking around full of bitterness, anger and rage and the person that sowed that seed or created that wound is just getting on with their life with no concept of the damage they've caused. Sometimes forgiveness isn't easy because we're called to forgive someone, someone faceless or unknown to us. So in these cases, does forgiveness matter? You know, we'd be crazy to think forgiveness is just about the freedom that it brings the one being forgiven. Lewis Smead says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Let me read that again. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. Forgiveness might be the greatest act of healing that you need right now. And why is that? Number four, because forgiveness opens up our heart to receive forgiveness. I, I don't fully get this, but Jesus says in a few places, you know, If you want to be forgiven, you've got to choose to forgive. And I'm not sure it's just purely transactional. I actually wonder if the capacity to fully receive the forgiveness of God comes from the freedom that we find from being a person 
that doesn't hold on to unforgiveness. I wonder if unforgiveness actually creates a barrier in us that stops us being recipients of forgiveness. I think Jesus gets that forgiveness is hard. When he teaches us how to pray, he tells us that we should pray for forgiveness. I reckon anything that he tells us we should turn to God to, he tells us that it's something that we're going to need some supernatural help to make happen. And so Jesus says, when you pray, you should pray that God forgives you. But then you should pray that God helps you to forgive others. I think Jesus understands how hard it is. You know, the disciples come to him later and they say in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, how, how much or how often or if someone keeps wronging us, someone keeps offending against us, how often should we forgive them? And I think they're looking for a, like a, an equation, something they can measure, a tick box to go once they've been forgiven twice, third time, well, you can go ahead and just belt them and do whatever you want. No, no, no. Jesus says, not just once, not twice. If, if they come to you and they keep asking for forgiveness, you should re- forgive them 70 times 7. Now, some of us go, ooh, 490, that's a lot of, it's a lot of times to forgive. They're up to 386, they've only got four more to go. No, 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 this is not a number that we measure against. You see, seven, for the people that Jesus was talking to, was a number of perfection or a number of completion. It was a significant number. And so I reckon what Jesus wants to say is there's no limit for how often you should forgive, but you should continue to choose to forgive endlessly, wholly, and completely. And then he goes on to tell us a story. And in the start of the story, he he starts by talking about a king who had a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Like 10,000 bags of gold. Jesus just goes well beyond in his point here because everybody knows that no servant could ever repay 10,000 bags of gold. It's an inordinate amount of money. No one in this room could repay the king the amount that Jesus says was owed by this servant. And so the king, it says, is settling debts, goes and finds the servant who owes him 10,000 bags of gold and says, well, if you can't pay me, we're going to go sell everything. Family, friends, assets, everything that you've got is going to be sold to repay the part of the debt that you can. You're going to be left with absolutely nothing. And then the scriptures tell us this. The servant fell on his knees. Matthew 18, verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. Like that in itself is the most revolutionary, unheard of, imaginable story. I mean, this man owes a massive debt. And so to be forgiven the debt has huge implications for his life. Not just for his life, but for his family's story, for his future hope. For generations to come, the act of this gracious, merciful king changes the trajectory of his life. But then Jesus goes on to tell the rest of the story. But when the servant went out after being forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Compared to 10,000 bags of gold, we we don't know the currency conversion, but we get it, don't we? 10,000 bags of gold, a hundred silver coins. I know which one I'd rather have. He found someone that owed him 100 silver coins and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went out and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive a brother or a sister from your heart. I mean, that is a confronting story and a confronting statement. But I think Jesus wants to get at something really powerful that actually challenges and confronts every single one of us, and it's this. It's so easy to minimize our sin in light of that which has been done to us. Because the wounds that we carry always hurt more than the wounds that we create. We're always much more aware of the wounds that we carry. I can look on at you and all of your wounds and go, oh, that looks painful. But until I step into that circumstance, I don't feel the depth of pain that is carried with it. See, our wounds always hurt so much more and the unmerciful servant as that passage is titled the story is titled walks out and realizes that his debt's been forgiven but he still has nothing and he knows someone that owes him something and he feels the pang inside to go well I could get ahead here I've got nothing I don't owe anyone anything anymore but I need some food for my table I need something to be done for me and so I know someone that owes me some money I'm going to go knock on their door But Jesus uses it just to point out to us that if we actually get a glimpse of how much we've been forgiven, we'll actually understand why we're called to be forgiving people. 1 John 1 verse 8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, God is a holy God and every time we sin against him, we build up a debt. And some of us can think, I'm a good person, surely... I haven't wronged God that much. But the Bible's very clear that all of us have created a debt that is much larger than we could ever repay. And sometimes we don't even recognize the debt that we're creating because we're so easily distracted by the wounds that we carry that we sometimes neglect to see the wounds that we create. But our God is a holy God. And God's holiness sees the brokenness that we carry. You know, every time we diminish someone who's been created in the image of God with infinite, eternal purpose, and every time we diminish them into an image of sexual gratification, we create a debt against God. Every time we destroy someone's reputation by sharing their stories and their failures with others, sometimes under the very respectable title of, I just thought you probably should know, we create a debt with God. Every time we add to the growing number of people on our planet in poverty because we choose in our own self-righteousness to live a life of greedy excess, we create a debt against God. 
Every time we use our God-given gifts to serve only ourselves and get all excited and tell the world about the loose change leftovers that we give, in our greed, we create a debt in our relationship with God. Every time we choose to protect ourselves by telling even the smallest of lies, to abdicate ourselves of blame and sit it on the shoulders of another, we create a debt against God. Every time we allow everything and anything to fill our lives and become our greatest priorities, and without knowing it, we bow the knee and worship man-made things like success and wealth or other people by giving it the first fruits of our time and our treasure and our talent. The Bible calls that idolatry. But every time we do that, we create a debt against God. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, the Bible says. You know what, I could go on and on and on and I don't want to turn this into a macabre note, but I think all of us today can see that we have lives that do not live up to the holiness and the goodness and the glory of God. And while all of us carry lists of offence and wounds, and some of us carry wounds that are deeper than anyone else in this room could possibly imagine. Some of you have walked through some of the most horrific circumstances, and we never want to pretend like forgiveness is easy. But Jesus always invites us to look at what he wants to do for us. See, Jesus chooses to forgive us, to wipe the slate clean. 1 John goes on to say this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and is just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. No matter what you have built up in the deficit account in your relationship with God, he chooses to forgive you. He surrenders his right to get even with you. See, the Bible says that the wages or the payment of sin is death. In other words, every wrong action that you do that builds and builds and builds, the consequence of that is death. But the gift of God is the gift of resurrection, is the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. See, God chooses to surrender his right, his very appropriate right to seek justice but he chooses mercy instead. God chooses to absorb the cost. I'm going to get the band to come and join me. And the most pertinent moment we see it is Jesus, whose wounds are now so real. The body that he carried to the cross is now scarred with the wounds of humanity. His flesh that is torn apart and bleeding is filled with the wounds of injustice and the wounds of an innocent man being betrayed to death. He's full of the wounds of being abandoned by his closest, of being isolated from those that cared for him, or of having the powerful exert their power in unjust ways. He's been subject to ridicule. He's been subject to the worst that humanity can bring. That is the story of the cross, that Jesus is subject to the worst that humanity can bring. And hanging on the cross, Jesus looks across all of the perpetrators of his crime and the words that come out of his mouth are these, Father, 
forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And Jesus stares down from the cross at you and all the wounds that you've inflicted. He says, if you come to me, if you own your sin, if you acknowledge what you've done, if you confess, I'll forgive you. And I'll cleanse you. And I'll free you. And I'll absorb the cost that you rightly should pay, but I'm going to choose to pay on your behalf. That is the good news. So when Jesus says, when you pray, pray, forgive us our debts. He invites us to look heavenward and be overwhelmed with the cost that Jesus has bore on our behalf because we carry a debt with God that we could never repay on our own. And today he wants us to be overwhelmed with that picture of his grace and that picture of his mercy and that picture of his forgiveness. And then he says, as you pray, forgive us our debts. Also then ask me for the help and the grace to go and forgive those indebted to you. God wants us to be forgiven. Forgive us. Forgiven. Forgive us. As we choose to forgive, we open up our heart to receive his forgiveness. As we choose to absorb the cost that someone else should rightly have to bear, we choose to open up our heart to receive his forgiveness. Father God, in this moment, I want to pray that every one of us would just be overwhelmed with your grace and overwhelmed with your mercy. That a debt that we could not repay, a debt that leads to death, you've defeated that, you've paid that, you've absorbed it. You've surrendered your holy right to get even with us, but you've chosen instead to just pour out your grace and your mercy towards us. Jesus, I want to thank you for your forgiveness. I want to thank you for your forgiveness. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.